So, as I said, I'm here to talk about um, the philosophy behind emergence, which has been reintroduced into um, our world of study through systems biology. Emergence is the novelty of characteristics observed at points of discontinuity between hierarchical levels of complexity in our natural world. Emergence theories are therefore rested upon the acceptance of theories of discontinuity and hierarchy. The novelty of emergence presents researchers and philosophers with a dilemma for complete understanding. Dr. Bressman preceded my presentation with a discussion of how modern research has found much of its success in methodological reductionism, but it has run up against the wall of emergence. Properties commonly termed emergence, such as the wetness of water, the cellular reproductive cycle, oscillating metabolic cycles, and human consciousness are the cause of both wonder and frustration. As researchers and philosophers of the natural world, we are responding to the Lord's vocational call to do explore and imaginatively seek understanding. Therefore, our attempts to do so must account for the existence of emergence. The purpose of this presentation will be to examine the claims made by some systems biologists to be able to calculate and predict emergent properties. These claims orient themselves solely within the physical, chemical, biological as aspects of natural hierarchies. Yet, they have wide-ranging implications for the definition of emergence in the rest of the natural world, which Harry alluded to. The novelty of emergence has often led scientists to term emergent properties as unexplainable or even unknowable. Therefore, the claims of calculability and predictability are both exciting and unnerving to many scientists. There are two main streams of systems biologists, those who claim calculability and mechanistic explainability for emergence, and those who retain a respect for the inherent discontinuity between component and system therefore holding to the incalculability. The first stream is strong and broad in the literature, making brave claims and bold headlines, while the second is quieter and similar to the voice on the shoulder of molecular biologists, reminding researchers that there remains much we still do not yet know. Each stream acts to remind biologists of this unique character of emergent systems, yet it provides a very different proposal for how to deal with it. In order to examine each proposal, it is important to initially investigate the origins of emergence theories and to begin to distinguish between the various existing definitions among the proposed definitions for strong and weak emergence. Doctors Cook and Bestman have set us up well with examinations of the history and theory behind systems biology and biocomplexity. In this presentation, I will focus on the presence of emergence theories within systems biology. There is an ongoing philosophical debate over emergence, occurring external to the discussion within the natural sciences. This debate centers on the metaphysical, and it is trapped between the dilemmas of dualistic vitalism and reductive materialism. This metaphysical emergence finds no grounds within the natural sciences. Any properties which cannot be explained in naturalistic terms are approached with great suspicion within our fields. Weak emergence, the type proposed by philosopher Ernst Nagel is thought of as unworthy of discussion in the natural sciences, as it will dissolve with advanced theories and in analytical techniques. Alternately, 
Strong emergence is said to describe novel characteristics which cannot be mechanistically understood, even in theory, through knowledge of the components. The distinction between strong and weak emergence is insufficiently clarified, and it can be seen as the most controversial aspect of this theory. Strong emergence alone is multi-defined. The term emergence seems to have a special appeal for people. It has an uplifting, expansive ring to it, unlike reduction, which sounds constrictive and overbearing. We now see the term being freely bandied about, especially by some systems biologists, with little visible regard for whether its use is underpinned by some consistent, uniformly toler tolerably unified and shared meaning, and if so, what it is. In the systems biology literature, we have not observed adequate distinction made between the many characteristics or requirements associated with the term emergence. These requirements are traditionally described as unknowability, inexplicability in component language, inexplicability via mechanism, irreducibility, unpredictability, or incalculability. I will briefly explain each one as I understand them. Unknowability is the idea that under no conditions and from no point of view a property can be understood. Inexplicability in component language is the understanding that higher level functions or properties cannot be described in the terminology or under the laws of lower levels of being, such as the physical. Inexplicability via mechanism posits that the higher level functions or properties cannot be described through mechanistic or causal relationships with the component levels. And irreducibility encompasses both types of inexplicability. Unpredictability maintains that higher level functions or properties cannot be qualitatively foreseen or foretold through examination of components, whereas incalculability requires that higher level functions or properties cannot be quantitatively foreseen or foretold through such examination. In the natural sciences, emergence has traditionally been thought of as strong and irreducible, regardless of the philosophical issue taken with this opinion. Ernst Mayer, C.D. Broad, and Conway Lord Morgan were early giants in the development of emergence theories as strong. Mayer describes emergence as the peculiarity that the characteristics of the whole cannot, even in theory, be deduced from the most complete knowledge of the components, taken separately or in other partial combinations. And Mayer identifies it being emergence as one of the six reasons for the inherent difficulty in prediction within biology. Strong emergence implies an intrinsic discontinuity which butts heads with the mechanistic theories of evolution and complete causation. The unique characteristics of hierarchical knowledge is that it, recogni it recognizes discontinuity and opens up the possibility for emergence within our world. In the immediate aftermath of his theories of natural selection, Darwin and his followers faced great hostility, and many critics had difficulty resolving the gradualationist idea of the evolution with the saltitationist or macromutationalist views held by Mendelian geneticists. This irreconcilability between discontinuity and continuity is a debate which has not yet seen a finale. Conway Lord Morgan, Samuel Alexander, and C.D. Broad are generally termed the British emergentists and were the instigators of emergentist theory. Morgan and Alexander were supporters of Darwin's evolution, yet they brought the idea of emergent evolution in order to curb the reductionist tendencies already being established then. 
On the other hand, Broad incorporates the philosophical arguments for emergence into the natural sciences discussion, making them directly applicable to emergence within the natural sciences. Morgan and Alexander both object to the complete reduction of progressive evolutionary change to the physical modes of action. They agree that mechanistic explanations for components of evolution are plausible and important, yet inadequate for a complete account of the evolutionary process. T.H. Huxley stated as early as, 19, as 1868 that the wetness of water could not be understood through the individual component analysis of both hydrogen and oxygen. And it seems as though Morgan, Huxley's graduate student, followed in this discussion or in this direction throughout his career. In the formation of water, in its full understanding as having unique and vital characteristics, this could not have been developed, this water molecule could not have been developed gradually from a single oxygen and two hydrogens. These molecules surely bumped into each other many times before forming water. And it is most certain that after numerous insufficient encounters, the molecules bumped at precisely the right time and orientation and with the right energy level to make a water molecule. Further, the unique properties of water, the high density in liquid form at 4 degrees Celsius, incredibly high heat capacity and strange wet property, are all observed when many, many molecules of water are associated together. It is argued that systemic properties could not have been evaluated at the level of isolated hydrogen and oxygen molecules. Therefore, many have called this property emergent. Upon this point, the recent advantages, advances in computational chemistry have made possible many predictions of systemic properties, classically termed emergent, such as the wetness of water or its behavior within a whole system, through in silico component analysis. And on this point, I am not sure at which the property of wetness of water, which was initially termed as emergent, could be anymore. One effective way of thinking about emergence is through the metaphor of language. Emergent characteristics cannot be described in the language of lower levels of being, although they are dependent upon these levels for their existence. It is not to say that properties of higher level systems are indescribable in terms of lower level functioning, but that these systems cannot be completely or meaningfully understood without novel law or language. Water, although not representing a direct transition from one level of being to another, gains its importance within the context of higher levels of being. For example, the fact that water, liquid water has four at four degrees Celsius has a greater density than ice, unlike all other known liquid compounds, is a vital characteristic to the survival of aquatic organisms during the winter. Morgan insisted that evolution, similar to the formation of water, is jumpy, sometimes giving rise to saltatory changes from a lower to a higher level of being. Although emergent evolution and systematic emergence are not identical, they are based upon the same general discontinuity. Over time, levels develop into hierarchical structures, displaying irreducible novelties at the points of interchange. In contrast to Morgan and Alexander, who focused on evolution, Broad describes emergence in the framework of system-component interaction. In his book, The Mind and Its Place in Nature, Broad identifies emergence as unique from and indescribable through mechanisms. In his definition, a systemic property is emergent when it cannot be inferred from a complete knowledge of the part's organization or properties, either in isolation or in other systems. In an earlier quote, 
Broad succinctly puts emergence as present when the characteristic behavior of the whole could not, even in theory, be deduced from the most complete knowledge of the behavior of its components, taken separately or in other combinations, and of their proportions and arrangements in this whole. Broad differentiates between analyzable and unanalyzable emergent properties, using the examples of being alive and having a mind, respectively. For Broad, unanalyzable properties are those that are secondary or phenomenal, since they are not satisfactorily described in the, in the novel macroscopic terminology of the system, nor the microscopic character of the parts as they act within the system. Kim describes them as failing to be functionalizable in the language of the lower level components. Systems biologists most often claim non-linearity as the cause of emergence. Non-linearity requires that a system does not, does not satisfy the superposition principle. This principle is an accepted law in mathematics, stating that the net response at a given place and time is caused as caused by two or more stimulus is the sum of the responses which would have been caused by each stimulus individually. Thus, if a system is non-linear, it cannot be solved as a linear summation of independent components. In the case of biological systems, nonlinearity describes the organization and level of involvement within a process. For example, if a process is nonlinear, its outcome will be predicted through an analysis of its co components in isolation. Nonlinearity intuits a much more complex relationship between the part and the whole than a simple upward or downward causation. The best description of bio biological nonlinearity can be grasped when we looked at the types of physical organization found in living systems. Bechtel and Richardson describe two such systemic organizations, aggregative and comp composite. Characteristics of aggregative systems are linearly determined by the isolated component properties. In other words, the examination of the parts outside the system, Malieu, is sufficient to provide a complete understanding of the system. Spatial and temporal organization do not affect aggregative systems functionality. This is also known as upward direct, upward determinative causation, where the properties of lower level systems completely govern the properties of higher level systems and should provide adequate information to predict and explain system behavior in these cases. Yet, Brueggemann also posits that as fundamental as it may seem when, cons when considering the conservation laws, as formulated in non-relativistic physics, linearity is an exception within biology. As seen in this figure, no biochemical systems are listed as aggregative, as you can see right here. Composite systems are further divided into component and integrative systems. All composite systems are the result of non-linear interactions, thus those ones that create emergent properties. And therefore, complete mechanistic understanding of these systems requires their reconstruction, either in vitro or in silico. Comp component systems are like aggregative systems in that their organization of the parts does not have a major determinative effect upon the systemic properties. Such examples of these systems are enzyme catalysis and met metabolic pathways. Integrative systems are unique in that the constituent functioning is extensively influenced by the organization of the components. Brueggemann writes that though the, vis the visceral chemical properties of the cytoplasm and the interactions 
between components. Some component properties are altered such that a system functioning can no longer be predicted from in vitro knowledge of the component properties. Simon gives a similar description in his understanding of decomposability. According to his theory, component and integrative systems would be nearly de decomposable and minimally decomposable, respectively. In this frame of thought, component systems can be broken down into the nearly the bare physical level without losing their essential character as a system. Yet, integrative systems can only be minimally reduced before the component parts are no longer behaving as they would in the system. The recognition of what type of physical chemical system is being studied is therefore vital to creating an analytical approach. An integrative system will require complex and creative observation techniques, primarily in vivo, in addition to novel technologies and computational modeling. This will allow for system reconstruction necessary for understanding. On the other hand, component systems can be well understood through the techniques used by modern molecular biology whereas integrative systems cannot. Further, many complex biological systems may only be integrative in respect to some of their properties. This figure displays the relationships between integrative component and, inter and aggregative systems. Biocomplexity observed in the natural phenomena and the concepts of linearity and nonlinearity. You can see on each axis how it explains the different degrees of biocomplexity, which he compares to different systems usually being studied within our world, and the usefulness of both reductionistic and anti-reductionistic methodologies in the study of each of these systems. This figure suggests that number one, enzyme catalysis and metabolic pathways, number two, are component systems already beyond the aggregative um, physical chemical organization. Therefore, they are able to be well understood through isolated in vitro analysis. This is true as kinetic properties of enzymes are classically established in these conditions. Yet, complex component interaction, such as macromolecular crowding, number three, and channeling, number four, can change kinetic properties, and thus systems in which these phenomena are observed in vivo are integrative. These systems, commonly known as metabolones, which Brueggemann puts as number five here, are much more difficult to study and their unique characteristic requires system reconstruction in the lab or on the computer. As biologists move up through the degrees of biocomplexity put forward, such as number six, which he has as local regulation or control, number seven, local adaptation and plasticity, number eight, global coordination of transcription and translation, number nine, cell division, 10, global regulation and control, and number 11, global adaptation and plasticity. System reconstruction becomes increasingly difficult, but also increasingly vital to our understanding. Now, there exists a great deal of hostility towards the term anti-reductionism, and for this reason, we have avoided using it. In the late 1990s, during the initial hype of systems biology, many advocates were claiming to offer anti-reductionistic methodologies necessary for proper biological research. In our opinion, and in the opinion of others, anti-reductionism is an unnecessarily negative term. It seems to say that reductionism requires counteraction, failing to realize that the value in methodological reductionism within research. Brueggemann et al. used the term anti-reductionism, as you can see here, 
to propose an idea of understanding the system in completion. Yet, as you notice, he never advocates for the anti-reductionistic techniques in the absence of the reductionistic ones, but rather supports the necessity of using both and therefore looking at a system from more than one point of view. The terminology used, although less than precise, is telling of the initial reactionary nature of systems biology. Over the past five years, systems biologists have diminished in their harsh critique of molecular biology, recognizing its power while still holding to its insufficiency. Brueggemann et al. can be seen in concordance with this later phase of systems biologists, although they maintain the language of earlier ones. The use of non-linearity as a condition for emergent properties represents an inadequacy within the systems biology literature to consistently define strong emergence. Strong emergent properties have been classically viewed as in some way inexplicable, either through mechanistic explanation, reduction, or prediction. Yet, the advance of computational prowess makes the daunting task of reconstructing complex and nonlinear systems, such as metabolomes, seem almost possible. Recently, a Dutch research group consisting of Brogard, Brueggemann, Westerhoff, and Kell has presented the defining aspect of emergence once again as philosophical inexplicability, rather than as the result of nonlinearity. The examples presented in the 2002 paper by this group describe how nonlinearity can be dealt with through computation and system reconstruction. However, in their 2005 paper, they recognized that their examples presented in 2002 represent weak emergence. In their latest work, they attempt to clarify the conditions for strong emergence, this, the type that is classically known as inexplicable. In their latest, oh, sorry. <laughs> Here, Bugard et al. described two independent conditions for emergence as inexplicable, termed vertical and horizontal. They maintain that a property of system R, made up of components A, B, and C, is emergent if either of these conditions are fulfilled. The vertical condition is inexplicable, even in principle through a mechanistic understanding of A, the, the component properties, B, the relevant laws of the systemic or component levels, C, the component relationship within the system, and D, the composition principles. The inability here is the uh, vertical condition for emergence. So if you cannot understand system functioning or the component functioning as they function within the system through a study of any of these four items, then you have achieved the vertical condition for emergence. The horizontal condition is the inability, even in principle, of component properties within the system to be deduced from their properties in isolation or in other similar holes. Thus, if you're using model organisms to study a more complex whole, the study and the study of this model organism does not give you a complete understanding, then you have succeeded in the horizontal condition for emergence. The horizontal condition is the, oh, sorry. Broad describes the horizontal condition for emergence, stating that the characteristic behavior of common salt cannot be deduced in the most complete knowledge of the properties of sodium in isolation, or in chlorine in isolation, or in other compounds of sodium, such as sodium sulfate, or in other compounds of chlorine, such as silver chloride. And this describes how when there is this discontinuous relationship between one system and another, horizontally speaking, 
there you have another condition which emergence may arise. The vertical condition describes what is commonly accepted as emergence, but the horizontal condition br brings to light an interesting extension. Model organisms are commonly used to explain biological functions in a simpler context. Scientists using the principles discovered in these simpler systems to better understand the working of a more complex but similar system. Bugard et al. therefore accept the existence of emergence within the natural world as satisfying either the horizontal or the vertical condition and view systemic emergent properties as inexplicable through component analysis. They do not, however, state that these emergent properties are completely unexplainable. We suggest Bugard et al. is an example of the recent transition within systems biology towards an increased appreciation for emergent properties as truly novel and inexplicable to and towards a multi-level approach for understanding systems, systems behavior. To conclude, the idea of emergence is an attractive and initially appealing one in many ways, and it is not difficult to understand its popularity. But it is not easy to make the idea precise and to give it substantive content. The above statement is the closing remark from Kim's paper on the uh, Kim, Yagwan Kim, which is a philosopher, on the core ideas of the, and issues of emergence. He captures well the elusiveness of emergent philosophy, especially in the realm of biology where the systematic property of life is only vaguely distinct from the physical chemical levels of molecules and the psychosocial cultures of human beings. Many systems biologists complain, <laughs> claim <laughs> to have the mathematical and computational resources to be able to explain, predict, or even calculate emergence. The, however, thus far, these, complaints are, these claims are inadequately supported by comprehensive descriptions or understandings of what emergence is. Not all systems biologists are equal, of course, and neither are the propositions. Due to these discrepancies, however, systems biology has not yet presented an adequate way to deal with emergence, as they have claimed. Yet, with philosophical and technical maturation, we believe that systems biology may greatly aid in the development of our understanding of emergence. Thank you for listening. fair comment. Um, emergence is that, that interchange between what we see going on within the system and what we can break down within the lab. And there's that discontinuity, as you said, between like the informational level, which is life, which is what we see around us all the time and what we have observed in the natural sciences. And then there's 
that physical level where we break everything down. And there's so much there at the physical level, so much that we can use and that we need to understand. But there's also that level of just life. This is life, this is how we live, and this is how systems are acting within their context. And that is kind of emergence for me, that change, that growth in what a system really is. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I I don't see emergence as a, a, an excuse for the informational level. I don't see it as kind of a another way to bring us to life. I see it as an integral part of what um, or of how our natural world is organized. And I I don't I don't think it's a way to excuse reductionism. I think it's yes. Go ahead. Comment. Yeah. Well, as I said, I don't really like the anti-reductionism thing, but yes, I understand. Um, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking that it's it's something that reductionism can't deal with. It's something that we run into when we break something down and then we try to put it back together and it, the putting back together doesn't act the way it did originally. Okay. Yeah, and see, I took, yeah, Kim, Kim to me has been saying that we, we don't understand emergence enough. We don't look at it and we don't really explain what it is. Somebody else, there's lots of hands. Go ahead. I'm not that interested in philosophy per se. Okay. <laughs> but I understand. If you can't just say that they acknowledge characteristics that emerge with this kind of complexity, why? I mean, when you talk about the presence of water and working properties of hydrogen and oxygen, we have some understanding that they have potentials and quantum energy levels. Well, I mean, that's something that we have to look to the creator for, obviously. Um, like, the, the why behind things is hard to explain. <laughs> the how. Like, yes, in, in system organization, you mean, like, how does it actually? Well, that's, that's what we get kind of muddled through, too, because there's so many different claims for why and how emergence comes to be. And nonlinearity is often given as one. But then you get people... Um, such as the Dutch Reachers group, um, Brueggemann and Bugard, who have predicted and calculated those emergent properties coming through nonlinearity. And thus, is nonlinearity really a cause for emergence then? In how the system components are organized and play out in the system. Yes, go ahead. And so 
when they, they cross up or you can imagine a complex network uh, with this kind of mathematical uh, system. And all this the information is going here, and at a certain point, the nonlinear how to switch over here. But just a, just a couple of Go ahead. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't find it a lot in the literature. Go ahead, comment. Oh, okay. Um, well, I would agree. That, like, that is a great definition, but it's not being taken into to this systems biology. Hasn't we have found nothing that comments on that, which is unfortunate. No, not one. You had another question. Or Heather, go ahead. Yeah, I know, totally. There's there's so much of that, and then this unknowability claim um, that comes across, and philosophers just can't deal with that, because like if something is knowable, and if you claim something to be unknowable, and if you claim a property to be unknowable, and then later on it becomes knowable, then where is your theory? And it has no substantive content in it. It's foundation can get washed away so simply with advances in computation which are coming quite quickly um, so it's hard to it's hard to claim certain properties as emergent and I particularly on purpose did not do that because who knows where we'll be but at the same time we do see this emergence property come up so often and even just our human consciousness like that is probably the one of the claims I would make because it's just it's so unique and it's so different. Go ahead. So 
No, I definitely think it is. And in my original paper that I presented uh, to the school this year, um, it begins with a whole philosophical look at, um, at discontinuity and at hierarchical levels and how those things must be accepted as true and as uh, present in our natural world before you can even look at emergence and think about it. Um, and there's these whole philosophical foundations for what emergence is, and you're exactly right. They, we see them in our natural world, and I believe that they are created for a purpose and that they are created parts of our world. And I think it's very useful to look at that background understanding of what those things are um, when you're understanding emergence. Go ahead, I think you were first. Me neither. I just pretend. Yeah, totally. And now you get into that causative, deterministic idea of, well, when this happens, this will happen automatically. Um, and a lot of the discussion within what is called systems biology is just about that interplay between physical and chemical. But you're also bringing in that there's so many levels beyond that. Like there. What do you mean? Keep keep explaining. Okay. There is not discussion of that in um, in the biological natural sciences 
area or discussion of emergence. But I am almost positive, and I have not looked in the philosophical side as much. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty positive that there would be a discussion of that. But that's also one of those things that, that creates another problem within the discussion of emergence. It throws another wrench in things because there might be things that are different. There might be things that are changing, especially in how we act and how our brain works. Yeah, ever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful metaphor and um, totally applicable. Go ahead. Um, I think back first.
Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, 